Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of For the Love of Money. And today I'm so excited because I get to sit down with one of my good friends, Joel Brown. You know, every single interview is a great interview, and I love discussing this topic with everyone I come across. But there's just something special when you get to sit down with a friend who you've known for many years and have those deep conversations about life and business and abundance and how to make it all happen. And that's one of those conversations I get to have today. Now, before we dive into to that, I want to remind you, Lori and I have decided to just put it out there to create some free videos on life and relationships and financial abundance and how we've gotten where we are today through really working on mastering our tribe and our belief system and our rituals. We literally you know, are sharing the formulas of how we got where we are, and we're doing it all through a series of free videos that you can get at lauriharder.com forward slash free training. Again, that is lauriharder.com forward slash free training. Go check them out. Comment below them. We love answering your questions and doing new videos based on your feedback. So go check them out, lauriharder.com forward slash free training. So I'm going to sit down with Joel Brown today, the creator of AddictedToSuccess.com, this huge online media company that's achieved over 143 million views. So listen, if you are aspiring to have any kind of online media company, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a YouTube channel, whether you want to be an influencer, whether you want to be some kind of online coach, this is the guy to tap into. This is the guy to listen to. Can you imagine having over 143 million views in just seven years? He's going to share some of his tips on how to get there just by being authentic. You know, he's been offered multiple million dollar offers for his website, for this business, and he's turned them all down because he just loves serving and, and he shares the tips on how you can position yourself that way if you follow some of his advice. You know, Joel has a social media following of over 2.6 million people across all social media channels. And he travels the world teaching thousands of people how to craft their visions and actually turn their dreams into reality, right? There's some people who are just big thinkers and there's other people that know how to turn it into a plan that you'll stick to. And he's one of those people. And my favorite parts of the conversation are when we discuss his recent shift into becoming a more godly man and getting back into his faith a little bit more and a lot deeper and how it's actually affected his business coaching and some of the outcomes that he's seeing as a result. And we answer the question, can you still be spiritual or godly and yet still be driven to create massive wealth? Like, does that even go hand in hand? Is that possible? You're going to love his answer to that. And we go really deep into how he specifically helps people craft their 10-year vision plan and actually stick to it. That is so valuable. It's the kind of coaching that you'd have to pay thousands of dollars for, and he shares it all on this episode. So listen, this episode is one of the most enjoyable conversations that I've had in a long time. So get ready, listen with intention, because this episode is overflowing with massive value.
All right, Joel, my friend, I'm so excited to sit down with you. You know, we, we've actually done this once before, as you know, and the sound quality <laughs> did not turn out well. It was one of my first podcasts ever, but I actually think it was meant to be for that sound quality to not turn out because you've really shifted gears since we recorded that, what, a couple of years ago. And so I'm kind of excited to hear this new evolved version of Joel and his answers compared to our chat a couple of years ago. Oh man, that's the uh, beautiful thing about life, right? Is that we're ever changing and, and forever growing and advancing. And uh, yeah, just I'm excited to jump back home with you. We always have great conversations. Last time we were in Santa Monica and we we're going super deep and philosophical. And it was, I remember that conversation. It was great, man. So let's, um, let's dive in. All right. They're going to get some good stuff. So here's the deal. My podcasts start with rapid fire questions. It's the fastest, most fun way for listeners to get to know you and to put you and I kind of into momentum. So if something comes up during this rapid fire uh, section in beginning, we'll just turn around and we'll do a deep dive on it. Sound good? Let's do it, man. Let's wake the brain. All right, let's do it. Where'd you grow up? Ooh, Perth, Western Australia. And where do you live now? This is a loaded question. Bali, Indonesia for the most part, but you know, the world's my home. I travel quite a lot. <laughs> I love that about you. What's one of your superpowers? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Um, hmm. I would have to say I'm like the Indiana Jones of self-development. I love digging super deep and finding gems that most people don't. And I love sharing them and creating concepts around them. I like creating new ideas. That might be one of the best answers ever. I love the analogy. <laughs> What's something you're afraid of right now, Joel? What I'm afraid of? Hmm. Mm, man. I think losing loved ones. You know, I haven't had much loss yet in my life. And I know it's inevitable. And so I think that that's something that would hit me to the core for sure. I had that same thought the other day. What's one of your favorite all-time books? The Bible, man. It's unparalleled to any self-development book I've ever read. <laughs> and one regret that you currently have? One regret I currently have is not, not drawing boundaries in my life, um, necessary boundaries. I think that that would have to be a thing that I feel like maybe I wasted a bit too much time in, in a few things in business relationships. And so... I would say that would be probably a pretty big, big thing when it comes to regret. Yeah, it's a tough thing to do is drawing boundaries. Who is someone who's changed your life? Oh, so many people. So many people. Uh, my mom, big time my mom. She drops wisdom in my ear at the most important times. And I don't know where she gets it from. And so she, uh, yeah, she's changed my life in, in leaps and bounds. Ah, that's a beautiful answer. What's something generous you've recently done? Mm, that I've recently done? Mm -hmm. mm. I mean, I, I practice generosity as often as possible. I would say I gave someone a free coaching session a couple of days ago. And uh, I knew their current situation and, and I knew that if I was to give it to them for free and I wouldn't usually give it for free, but I know that they saw the value in it and they've invested and they, they took the action that uh, 
that was required. So I, I felt like that was a good, uh, good idea to share that. And so, yeah, that would be probably the, the most recent, uh, generous, uh, act. Man, that's a massive value. And last question, what is one of your all time favorite accomplishments thus far? One of the most heartfelt uh, accomplishments would have to have been when we built a school for Pencils of Promise in uh, Laos in Southeast Asia. That was huge. Like I didn't expect, like I, you know, you hear uh, giving back is important and, you know, we need to contribute. And But when we did it and I was there and I saw these little kids with their little backpacks on and I was so excited and, and just the smiles on everybody's faces and got to hang with them at the school. I think that was a game changer for me in my heart, for sure. Some of the best feelings on the planet. Okay, so let's go a little deeper into the interview now. And I, there's a couple of things I made note of that I want to circle back to. But I, I want to start with this crazy life and crazy career that you had before you came, before you became an influencer, so to speak. I don't think people get to hear about your past enough. Can you kind of tell us the high-level version of where you were before you became an influencer? Wow. You know, I had a uh, very colorful life. Uh, I, ever since I could remember, I would say probably six or seven years old, uh, I used to be a little hustler, you know? So I remember my mom gave me a pocket money book. It was called 50 ways to make pocket money. And I read that book and I tried probably about 20 different ways. One of them was to go and, uh, buy, things and then sell them back at a higher price profits right mm -hmm. and so I, I went and worked and did some chores and, and saved up a little bit of money 20 30 bucks and then i went down to the uh, grocery store and bought toblerone chocolate bars and mint patties and i walked around and knocked on the doors of my neighbors uh, in, in my neighborhood and sold it back to them at double the price <laughs> so <then> the, <laughs> it's crazy right so then the money that i made from that i went and bought uh, 96, I think it was 96, 96, uh, Fleur, uh, basketball cards. So 92, 94, uh, Fleur basketball cards and I would collect them and then sell them off at school. And I, I think I got to like a couple thousand bucks at like eight years, nine years old. And that was <laughs> my first experience as an entrepreneur. So for me, I had this whole like empowering mindset at a young age of like anything is possible. If you want to create like a business, if you want to make money, it's possible. I didn't really have many limitations in that sense. And my parents were always encouraging. So I went through this whole route of, oh man, I, I wrote a list the other day. It was pretty interesting when I wrote it because I found my pattern is, uh, initially it was sales, which is funny because it was something that I tried to avoid quite a few years back, I, I was like, how can I build a business without sales? You just can't, right? Impossible. <laughs> so, right, right. So yeah, it was, it was sales. And then I moved into a space of networking. When I look back at the pattern, I had a, a mentor, mentoring program um, I was running in, and I connected with uh, Dr. John Martini, And he, he gave me two and a half hours of his time. And he got me to dig super deep and to find, like if I was to look back at my past, uh, what were the skills that I often repeated in each industry that I stepped in that helped me to really stand out? And and what I found in that was uh, networking was a huge one. And that didn't come front of mind, but when I dug deep, I found that. And, and what I found was when I was 13 years old, 
my mom gave me the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Okay. And I remember this line in there was something along the lines of, um, you don't have to work for money. You can make money work for you. And I just remember like the penny dropping and going, that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. Because if you can make money work for you, you have more time to spend with people and to create and to put back into your business to stimulate the economy. And, and I just kind of got the idea of what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And I was, I figured, well, if there's that, then I can get in on the sales. I'm cool with that. But the networking, connecting with people, that's the part that I need to bring to the table. And I just started out with MySpace. And I started with MySpace. I started connecting with lots of people on MySpace, and it worked. I was working in a radio uh, station at the time, and I was offering them interviews on one of the biggest hip-hop and R&B radio stations, and I was interviewing like hundreds of recording artists uh, in America and uh, you know a 16 year old little kid uh, in a radio show interviewing people like Fat Joe and Talib Kweli and all these you know these while you're in Perth by the way rappers. while I was in Perth yeah so to me I never really felt like there were ceilings I always felt like the sky was a limit and I just platformed from there I went to uh, hustling uh, record deals and flew out in, uh, to Miami Florida at 20 21 years old, uh, managing songwriters and producers there. Felt like my passion wasn't in it. Uh, after a while, I was sick of playing the background. I wanted to create my own business. And so I uh, came back to Perth, hit a reset, met, uh, worked for a sales company, did really well in that, and then met Jordan Belfort at the Wolf of Wall Street. And he challenged me that day to cast my 10-year vision. And I'd always you know, think, thought about writing goals and in school, they tell us to write our career goals. And so when he said to, to cast a vision and taught us essentially the basics of how to do that and asked me these three really powerful questions, what are you good at? What do you love? And what solution will you bring to the world? My, the whole, my whole view of, of business and entrepreneurship and how to map out my life changed for the best. And, uh, that was the day I created addicted to success addicted to success.com and uh you know we look at it now it's 143 million views worldwide Jeez. and we've been able to do incredible things with it it's not my business man i look at it as like it's the community's business you know we've built a movement around it and it's just uh it's powerful stuff you know there's a formula behind inspiration and i just feel so blessed to to be able to connect with as many people that i do and and to, to make a shift in, in the minds and hearts of many people. Okay, what is that formula? Because half the listeners at least want some type of platform, whether it's a podcast or a YouTube channel or an influencer brand or whatever it is. Half, the, half of the listeners want something similar to Addicted to Success. So what is that formula? Well, what I would say is that if you were to create an online media platform like I did, if that's what you aspire to do. I'll say first things first, make sure that you get clear on what your values are in life. Okay, your top three, top four values, what you spend most of your time on, most of your money on, what you love to talk to other people about. I mean, look at your bookshelf and see what are the book type of books you read. Okay, narrow down on your top three, top four values. Mine were business, self-development and contribution. And I built a business around those three very things. Now, a lot of people look for the external motivation to light them up. But your values, they're from within. 
right? They, they get you in spirit. That's what it means to be inspired. So inspiration is way more powerful than motivation. I'm not sitting there watching a YouTube video or trying to read parts of a book to fi- get fired up. I'm automatically fired up because I'm inspired from within and have tied my goals to what I value most and fill my day with what I value most. So there's a lot of power there, right? So get really clear on your values. Don't go and copy somebody else because it looks good. Make sure that your values are in it. Otherwise, you won't have longevity in the game. So it was that, and I got really clear on my 10-year vision. Have your vision in place. What would it look like? Get into some detail about it. What kind of beliefs, what kind of uh, habits, what kind of skills would you have to acquire to make this dream a reality? Okay, and then pick a platform. Some people try and pick three, four, or five things at once. Don't do that because you'll scatter your mind and you'll fall short on each one because you're only putting in a 10, 20, 30% energy into each platform. So make sure you pick one. Go in, master that, set a goal. Go, I'm going to work on this for three years or two years, right? And and set yourself goals within that, like into goals. And if you hit a certain point where you, you achieve everything that you feel you, you need to achieve to get that to a place of uh, – sturdiness and stability in that in that platform then open up another stream another platform uh which may be you know if you start out with a a website it may be then a podcast or it may be a youtube channel or you may start writing books right but but have into goals within that bigger vision so that you know where you are so you can get feedback on your uh your progress and i would say that another really important thing to do is to, once you've established building your base, is to really cultivate an audience and find your edge. What makes you edgy? What makes you different? Because it's easier to be different than it is to be better, right? So I would do that. And then uh, you want to cultivate that audience in a way where you create a movement around what it is that you do. Even if it's a personal brand, create a movement around what it is that you do. I think a lot of people are just copy-pasting but I really believe that when you speak what is really true and is and is set on your heart, the world feels it. Okay, your engagement will go up. And today it's about cutting through the noise and getting higher engagement rates to be seen, heard, and understood and to connect with others. So you can't fake this anymore. <laughs> if it's not on your heart, people know it. So make sure it's on your heart. I think that's the most true statement of them all is you can't fake it. You can't create this brand and say you're going to inspire people when it's not your passion. And so let's go there real mm-hmm. quick because you said your core personality traits or your core interest was business, self-development, and contribution. It's clear where business came from. When you told your story of growing up, I love that story. But mm-hmm. what about contribution? Where'd that come from? Contribution came from, I love this question. Great question. No one's asked me that before. Uh, so when I created addicted to success, I mean, I've always had a giving heart. I've had a good heart in that sense. Uh, I've always been encouraged by my parents to give, to contribute. And I've always felt good doing it. But when I created addicted to success, you got to remember the place that I was in was I was reading a lot of self-development books. Uh, I knew that I was good at marketing and I, I played around and set up a few websites. So I knew that I was, uh, uh efficient in that. And I had this mindset at the time of I wanted to get out of my nine to five job. 
Okay, I remember doing the maths and I created these pain points. And I sorry, identified these pain points. And what it was was that I, when I did the math on how long it took me to go to work, it was like one hour to get there in peak hour traffic, one hour to get back home. Okay, so it's two hours. Then I, I mapped out what would that look like if I was to map it out over weeks, months, and, and a year. It's two hours a day, 10 hours a week, 400 something hours a year, like 476 something hours a year that I felt like I was wasting my life in traffic. And that was such a huge uh, pain point for me. And so my mindset was I need to make a bunch of money to get out of this current position that I'm in. And I actually left the sales company where I, was, where I had started Addicted to Success. I was about six months in. I went and worked up north in the deserts of Western Australia. The only way I could get into a job out there was to go and get a snake handling certificate. I know it sounds so like, as <laughs> an Aussie. I didn't, like, yeah, I didn't know it was such an official Crocodile certificate Dundee, that you mate. got. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing, right? So like I dropped out of high school. I left high school at 16 years old and pursued my career in music. And so I didn't have any credentials uh, at that time to show that I had uh, you know, a degree or anything. So the only way I could get in was a back door. And I had to go in. My friend's like, you can get this job, but you need to get a snake handling certificate. And it fell off my, my chair. I was like, what? Uh, so you know, I went through that process. And I ended up getting the job and, and going out and working uh, up north. It was crazy. It was like 12-hour, 13-hour days back to back 28 days straight in cracking hot heat it was like 100 and I think like 120 degrees fahrenheit 115 degrees fahrenheit every day and uh catching snakes lizards kangaroos and removing them from the areas and uh you know doing the whole environmental thing and it was great money it was like double what i was making but i was putting all that money back into my my business i was traveling i was paying for mentors i was going to workshops and and events so I understood that my business can only grow to the extent that I do. So I was putting a lot back into the business. What I did hold though at that time looking back was I, ha I held a very um, hedonistic view where I was very big into like multi-millionaires and billionaires and a lot of it was like money, money, money. And uh, what I did find is as I matured as an individual uh, and as a leader in my company, the the conversation changed and a lot of it shifted to more purpose-driven content and now we're in a place where we've got such a good balance it's a lot of like how to it's entrepreneurship talk it's um mindset talk but there's not a lot of the you know millionaire billionaire talk we don't put a lot of uh, emphasis on that now it's more about doing the actual work and really making sure that you're in alignment with your values and your truth so you know that's that's what i've i've lived in for the last I'd say six years out of the seven that we've been running addicted to success. And, you know, I, I believe at the, at the core of all of our hearts is we want to live a life of meaning as human beings. We want to be seen, heard, and understood. Everyone does. Everyone wants to love and be loved. And the contribution element is so critical. I think a lot of people are waiting too long, too, to give back. They're like, well, when I get there, then I'll give you know, and I get that because money-wise, some people just can't. But you can still give some of your time. You don't always have to give via money. It could be, you know, time and uh, attention. So yeah, that was a huge one for me, and it's the most fulfilling one for me, to be honest. Man, great answer. I love that. You know, I've, you're talking about addicted to success, and you know how it's kind of grown over the past seven years. Seven years, right? 
seven, yeah, seven and a half years. And uh, back when we were doing the rapid fire and I said, what is one of your all-time favorite books? You said the Bible. It's the best self-development book ever. I don't feel like that would have been your answer when we talked, you know, two years ago or last year. Why is that the answer now? And what has shifted inside of you? Mm, that is such a great question. Uh, and it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been an answer because I stepped back into my faith a good 14 months back. So just over a year, you know, it's interesting. I think that I, I've had a shift. I've definitely had an emotional and a spiritual shift within me. Uh, and I think that, you know, when your worldview changes, it raises a lot of questions. And so I went on this hunt when I stepped back into my faith, just before it, I was like, I'm not going to accept this because I know I've had the emotional and spiritual experiences, but I'm not going to accept this until I know that it's that it, to me from what I could see is truth, right? So I went on this relentless pursuit for truth and I started digging and I dig and dig and dig and I was going right into, you know, scripture and into word, into the word. I started looking for answers. Okay. And so I think we live in a world right now where more than anything, there's more questions than there are answers when it comes to these these uh, you know these these areas of life. And what I found was I, I matched it up with um, there's a great structure to really test any worldview, and it is these four areas: okay, origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And what I found in my pursuit for truth is that the Christian worldview is the only one, and this is my experience, okay, is the only one that can answer those four questions with coherence, logical consistency, and empirical evidence. And the more I dug, the more it, it, it increased my faith. Like I was actively looking to, to see if there was a way out, to be honest. Like I was looking <laughs> into a lot of different worldviews, and I was looking at atheism, and I was watching debates and I was digging and digging and digging. And honestly, man, the more I dug, the more I found truth. So then when I opened the Bible and this is the thing too, you know, I believe that Jesus existed. Historians believe Jesus existed. The miracles are documented and you know, there's a, there's a lot of evidence around that. Okay. And so what I found was like Jesus often pointed to scriptures and this is a sinless man that lived what you would call a perfect life. He pointed to the scriptures often. So I thought, man, there's got to be some validity in this if Jesus is pointing to the scriptures. So that's what encouraged me more than anything to open the Bible and start digging. And I started with Proverbs. And Proverbs was written by King Solomon, who was noted as one of the wealthiest and wisest men of all time. And, you know, obviously that's subjective, but uh, I would say that, you know, when, after reading Proverbs, yes, he, <laughs> he's got some wisdom there for sure. And I was reading it and I was like, man, this is like, nothing's really new under the sun. A lot of this is like history repeated that we hear today. And, you know, I, I've, I've dug so deep into it. And I've connected so many dots within that, that to me, that worldview has just so much coherence to me that when I read some other things now, I feel like some of it's just kind of theory and throw it like kind of ph philosophical like concepts, but it's not grounded in truth so often. And I feel like right now we're in a world where there's just, there's a lot of ideas, but is it grounded in truth? And I think the truth really matters. It's, it's interesting when I do get into debates and I talk with people, I feel like people often would rather choose personal preference over truth. 
And just because it's the personal preference doesn't mean that it's true. They've made it true to them to justify their beliefs, but it doesn't mean that it's actually true. And so all I care about is truth. And so for the rest of my life, I'm going to be seeking truth, man. And um, yeah, I, I feel like it's for me in my search and my search for growth spiritually, mentally, emotionally, I feel like this is like it's, it's it feels like a deeper layer than just the philosophical ideas. And so that's why I feel like it's it's unparalleled um, to every other book. It's amazing answer. So how does this return to faith affect what you teach today in business compared to what you were teaching a couple of years ago? It's only made it better, man. Seriously, it's only made it better. It's, I feel like I hold myself to, to, to more rock solid principles uh, in the sense of I pay attention more to the character of who I am. You know, and I, I look at how Jesus showed up in the world, and as a Christian, it's, we're called to be be like Christ. I mean, the word Christian means little Christ, right? And and I think you know when you look at that, when you look at the way that he showed up, with everything that he did, he had three and a half years in ministry, that we know of. Okay, three and a half years, he had twelve of the most unlikely people follow him as disciples. He was a carpenter's boy. And if you, he, he, you know, died on the cross and rose again. And he, even to this day, billions of people worship him. And he only had three and a half years in ministry. Wow. And I look at that and I just think to myself, man, is there any other leader that has had the influence that Jesus has had? And always at, 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 at one point in, in, uh, at some point in life, there's always billions and billions of worshiping throughout ever since he left. Right. And so I look at that and just think, man, that's that's powerful stuff. And so, you know, I, I look at a lot of other leaders in the world and go, I, I can see the greatness that lies within you. And I would love to find some of that greatness that lies within me. But when I think about Jesus, I believe that he is the ultimate, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I put up a quote uh, a little while back and I really, truly feel like this. I said, sorry, but my self-worth is no longer up for grabs. I've found it in the unconditional love of my creator. And I really believe that my self-esteem went to another level when I knew that I had someone that had created me and loves me truly, unconditionally, no matter how much I'm, on, I'm wavering in where I am as a human being. I'm, you know, I'm not perfect, but I know that I'm loved. You know? And so my self-worth is in that. It's not in anything else in this world. And... Uh, yeah, my 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 view of the world and how it operates and how it's structured. I mean, I'm 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 interested in how we as humans are operating in this world with our own structures and I can see how faulty it is. And when you look at the way that God has designed the kingdom, because I don't believe in religion as a sense. I'm not a big supporter of religion. I believe in the kingdom of God, which is above all. Jesus didn't come to preach about religion. He came to preach about the kingdom. He said, my purpose here is to share the word of the kingdom. And so I looked at that, and that just changed my mind on everything because religion is man-made. So it became a hell of a lot easier for me to look at it from the view of what God intended for it to be. So it's a game changer. So with, without it sounding too simplified, you could say Jesus was the ultimate influencer, you know, in a world now where everyone's trying to be an influencer and, and share their message, he was the ultimate influencer. What can we learn from the way that he ran his business, so to speak, right? Figuratively speaking, 
that applies <laughs> that applies to how we run our business and our level of influence today? Well, that's a great question. He didn't come to be popular. He came to speak truth, Ooh. even when it hurt. Uh, and you know, I think with that, there were some haters. There definitely were some haters. You, we saw it, you know, in, in his uh, in his life. And so, uh, it's a good reflection that like how how can you be this all loving person, right? That that shows up no matter what when people are slandering you, but still just pour love into each and every person, and and even sometimes challenging the system and going the opposite of what everyone expects even if you know you're going to get slandered in the process, but you do it because you know it's right. All right. And I think that was so powerful for me to see that. And it gave me permission. All right. I let myself have that permission in it all to really go, well, you know, yes, yeah, sometimes the world will say, Hey, that's not right because it's not popular. But if it's truth and it's grounded in great principles, like integrity, loyal, compassion, love and kindness, it's got to be right. You know, so that was a, a huge uh, thing for me that, you know, when I when I look at his life, he, he didn't come here to be popular. He came to speak truth. And uh, it was powerful. powerful. Man, great advice. Mic drop. So can you be spiritual or godly or whatever you want to label it as and still desire wealth? Yes, you can. You can. You absolutely can. Uh for me, the way that I, and I can only speak from my own experience, and I do speak with a lot of other people about this. We have good conversations around it. Uh, I keep him at the forefront of my mind, you know, and I think that you, you couldn't look at like idolatry, right? Let's look at that. I believe that if you idolize anything else above God, uh, if you look at all the Ten Commandments, right? If we want to talk, you know, Bible talk, every single one of them could fall under idolatry. If you idolize, uh, violence, you you could eventually kill someone, right? If you idolize sex over everything, you could be sexually immoral, you know? And so I look at it like that. I look at it like, well, what am I idolizing more than anything? And I always keep God at the forefront of my mind. Like even with my vision, my business decisions now, my relationships I'm stepping into, I'm always thinking from a point of view of like, is this something that I believe in is in divine design and order? And and is it, uh, is it something that is grounded in the principles of what, what I'm called to, to live in, right? And so uh, I would say that as a, a Christian, I believe that I more than anything, I'm called to be even more successful in what I do because if I'm living my, my life in a way where it's grounded in love, and great principles, then I can only succeed even more in my life. It's just not leading with the wealth as the, this is my be all and end all. Uh, but I believe you can still be successful and still be grounded in faith. What a great conversation. Now, speaking of people's purpose and not leading with wealth, but leading with purpose, you're called on a lot lately to help people create a long-term vision, a 10 year vision, so to speak. Why, why you and how can you help us through creating our vision? I feel like the question I get the most is, I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm here. Can you help us with that? Yes, 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 yes. This is a huge one. And the reason why I teach it so much is because I've lived it already in my life. 
You know, I, I, I cheat, man. I only speak about what I know and what I've experienced. I don't go outside of that. <laughs> uh, so the 10 year vision is a huge one. A lot of people call me to, to speak about it and to teach it in workshops, events and webinars and, and podcasts and so on. And, um, I costed my 10 year vision that day in the room with Jordan Belfort seven and a half years ago. And I remember being interviewed a couple years or a year and a half back, year and a half back by Peter Vug, all right? And Peter, Peter asked me, Joe, where are you right now in your 10-year vision? And I checked in and I said, you know what, man? I'm 90 to 95%. And 90 to 95% because there are some things that I just realized weren't important, right? It changed. 90 to 95% right now living in my 10-year vision and we're only six years in. And I was like, wow, that's powerful because your, your vision disciplines you. It chooses your friends for you. It teaches you what to say yes to and what to say no to. It gives you direction in your life and becomes this really great guiding force. So there are a few elements that I've introduced over the years that I found has supercharged my vision and I've tested it with a lot of people that I coach and we've got amazing results from it. So this is more than just what I learned that day with Jordan Belfort. This is a a uh, very advanced version of what I've experienced and what I've added in. And there are, there are new elements in there that have really beefed it up. Uh, but the questions that were asked before, what are you good at? What do you love? And what solution will you bring to the world? They're a great starting point. And I got to credit Jordan to that. That was, that was a great, uh, you know, three, three questions to start with and making sure that you fill your vision with values. Your values are like your compass. Okay, and then we have the three other dimensions that are necessary and, and are so uh, powerful when you add them in. It's beliefs. What would you have to believe about yourself to be able to be that very person in that fifth year from now or that tenth year from now, right? Some people say, you know, I want to speak on stages around the world and I want to write a New York Times bestseller and so on. Okay, well, what would you have to believe about yourself to be able to be in that space? And the reason why I ask that question is because so many of us right now are standing in the identity of who we are right now. And we're thinking in the, in the I would say it's a limited mindset because we're always growing, right? We continue to expand if we're working on ourselves. We're standing in a, in a way a limited mindset if we're looking at a 10-year perspective. So I always encourage to think as big as you can, just the ultimate version of you. If you had all of the the, the most empowering beliefs in play, if you were able to execute your habits on a consistent basis that you know you need to implement, and if you had the skills that you needed to either hire or acquire to get to where you need to be, what would they be? And so that's a great starting point. And a lot of people get a little bit, you know, flustered. You said, you know, when you ask them, what's your 10-year or five-year vision, they get a little flustered with it. And uh, that's because they're thinking like in a space of they need to write the whole entire vision out on the spot that day done. And it's just not how it works. It's a process. I even encourage people to do it over the space of a week because, you know, you need to fresh your mind. You need to step away from it for a bit, come back to it. New ideas will start popping up in your mind. Uh, but I would say start with the skeleton, the core things of what you need in your 10-year vision and write it in the, in the sense of like it's, it's present tense. So I am, you know, walking on the beaches of Santa Monica. I've just left my two-story house that is blah, blah, blah. So we can talk about the material. You can talk about what you would feel at that very point in time, uh, the experiences you have, 
Uh, if we can talk numbers, that's even better because it's even better and easier to, to measure if you've got numbers in there, figures. Uh, and there's you know more detail than that. Uh, but you start with the skeleton, then you go into the uh, what I call like the meat of the vision. When you come back into it, you add to it, and then you have the flesh of the vision. Okay, it's like a whole the body of your vision. Uh, and so they're the three levels: the basic, the immediate, the advanced. And uh, yeah, it's it's interesting because some people uh, will say, "Oh, I don't know," but when they start writing their vision out and they think about who they are as as uh, you know the ultimate version of where they could be, they start getting really excited. And then start mapping it out, mapping it out, and writing it all out. And it gets more and more exciting. And then when you actually commit to it and you see these things happening in your life and unfolding because you're more intentional now. Like I'm not big on law of attraction. I'm big on law of intention, setting it and going to it. And, and when you get intentional about it, amazing things start happening in your life. That's incredible. Now, you're in the new movie, Think and Grow Rich. Do you talk about some of this in that movie or the law of intention instead of the law of attraction? What do you what do you talk about in that movie? Uh yeah, well, so I sat down for a good forty five minutes, and I think from the forty five minutes, as it goes with these documentaries, I think maybe five minutes or four minutes was extracted, uh, and and separated and put at different points in the film. Uh, I touch on mastery, I touch on uh, faith, uh, and I touch on belief, and uh, there wasn't any talk of the law of intention. But one of the biggest conversations that came from that and that a lot of people, uh, I guess, quoted me on and, and brought up to me that they love that part was when I talked about you have to be all in on a 10-year minimum. You have to master. You can't just dabble and play around. You have to be committed to mastery if you want to achieve a high level of success. That's amazing. And I mean high level, not just success. I mean high level, right? You need to be the master in the game and you have to look at it as a 10-year minimum. You can't play with anything less than that. I haven't even done 10 years with Addicted to Success yet. We're still, we're still in it. We're still in the, the infant stage. Boy, that really puts it into perspective because you know, people look at Addicted to Success and how big it is and how successful it is and you know, they label Joel Brown with Addicted to Success and they think that's your end-all be-all. It's only been seven years. That blows my <laughs> mind. So how do people stick to this 10-year vision? It's one thing to get excited. It's another thing to plan it out. It's another thing to get granular and be able to visualize it. But what happens next year or the year after that when you feel like you're changing as a person? Like you've gone through some transformations. What happens to your 10-year vision as you go through these transformations? Well, here's a great thing about it is it's not set in stone, right? It's written in the sand. It's not written in the concrete. So what we do is we push every year out. Uh, we push the 10-year vision out every year. So as you go through one year, you add another year on your 10-year vision. You push it out. Uh, and what I get each person to do is I get them to print out their 10-year vision. Okay, and it may be one or two pages, however long they write it, in as much detail as possible. They put up their 10th year, and then they put up their current year that they're in. And they put them side by side. You have them hanging up in their office or wherever it's accessible and setting an alarm once a month on their calendar to check in with that 10-year vision. And honestly, like, you know, you hear a lot of people say, oh, you do this and this and that and you'll be successful. <laughs> honestly, if you really commit to this 10-year vision process, I, I can guarantee that you're going to see massive, incredible shifts in your life. You're going to call in a lot of incredible things just by noting it down and getting your mind thinking in detail in that way. 
it's the detail that really helps you, it guides you. I've had people come to me and offer me six-figure deals to join with them in partnerships. And I've gone, I've checked in on my vision and gone, you know what, that doesn't align with my vision. I'm going to have to say no. Can and, you know, yes, I have the luxury of saying that now because I'm, you know, seven years into my business and I have success. If I was offered that seven years ago, I probably would have said yes and, and gone a different route. But because I'm very clear on my vision, I don't waver on it. And it has rewarded me in the process because I haven't wavered on it. It's good stuff. Does somebody have to be this ridiculous baller to get this type of coaching from you? Or where can they get more guidance on this? <laughs> yeah, look, reach out to me on uh, Instagram because I'm, I'm active on their Instagram or Facebook. Okay, you can find me at I am Joel Brown on Instagram and just type in Joel Brown on Facebook. Uh, or you could go to addictedtosuccess.com and email my team. Okay, we've got a contact uh, box there. And reach out to me and let me know. I have a number of different programs running. I'm running a retreat in Bali uh, this month of April. And uh, I'll be speaking all over the world. Uh, we have a number of tentative dates, some in the US, uh, some in Dubai, some in uh, Europe as well. And obviously when my book is out, make sure you grab a copy. It's going to be the end of 2018. So, so grab a copy then and reach out to me now if you feel like it's really on your heart to connect because I love connecting with people. And uh, thank you for the love and support and for lending me your ears. I appreciate it. So a couple more questions for you if you got time. Oh, yeah, let's do it. I'm open to a few more. Hell yeah. So these are these are both kind of signature questions that everyone answers, and I just I love hearing the diversity in answers. And the first one is really meant to inspire. It's really meant to start this chain reaction of different ways to give. So what is your all-time favorite moment of giving? And I think I might know the answer. <laughs> well, Pence is a promise for sure. Uh, also, I would say one one thing that stood out to me. Uh, when you ask that question just then, um, and, and it's not above the Pencils of Promise experience, it's just different. Uh, I remember walking through Vegas, this is four years ago, and I had a grocery bag of bananas. Don't ask me why, I just think I'd like, I, I, grab, I felt like bananas that day, right? I had a, a bunch of bananas, and I walked past a homeless guy, and there are a lot of homeless people in the Vegas Strip, uh, but I walked past this homeless guy, and he had a sign up that he was, um, in, in need of money. And I actually didn't have any in my pocket at the time. I just had my card on me. I walked past and I felt impressed to, to go up and offer him a banana and his face lit right up and he was so happy and so thankful. And he wanted to give me a hug and I was like, wow, this is just a banana dude. Uh, <laughs> but then I decided to give it to another person on the strip and they had the same reaction so one day uh when i was coming back uh on the strip uh, walking back the other way i went to a grocery store on the other end and just grabbed a whole bunch of bananas and just started giving them out to homeless people and they loved them and i just thought that it was i was like man the simple things in life you know and i know that bananas uh increase your serotonin levels so they may have had a happier day <laughs> eating a banana so uh that was a real standout to me. It shows, it, it taught me that like you don't need the millions or trillions of dollars to 
to give away all the time. Um, it's great when you can do that to create some massive change very quickly, but also uh, the the small acts of kindness go such a, a long way in in life. And uh, yeah, that was a real standout moment for me. What for an sure. awesome answer to be able to compare the huge amount of money you raised for Pencils of Promise to the time that you gave up bananas on the Las Vegas Strip to show <laughs> that there really is a dichotomy of of giving. There's there's two different ranges, and both of them are equally important. Hmm. Yeah, love it. Last question for you, buddy. Why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth or success? Mm. You should be unapologetic because the world needs to hear what is the soul signature that is on your heart. You need to be unapologetic because we are gifted this life. We were brought from non-existence into existence for a reason. You need to be unapologetic because most people in life need to see that they too are valuable in this pursuit of living that that if they could just see you as an inspiration, it may inspire them too to get up on their feet and make a difference in this world. And that's why you need to be unapologetic. You can't hold back on who you are and who you're meant to be in this world. This world needs you. Man, that is the best advice to wrap this thing up on. Joel, I can't thank you enough for your time. I, I'm glad that the sound quality did not work out two, year, two years ago because this was one of the best conversations I've had in a long time, buddy. <laughs> Brother, you've come a long way, man. I love your episodes. I've been listening to a number of them and uh, you've absolutely been rocking it and you've got such a heart of gold and you're going a long way in this space. So thank you for even giving me the time and the space with your audience to, to deliver uh, what, I, what I feel is, is my uh, experience of wisdom and I, I really appreciate you, man, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Man, my privilege. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.